Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 37, coming to you live in our studios in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, or something. (laughs) I love it. Dr. Scott Wright, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Dr. Ryan Gray. How are you? I am fantastic. I just got off uh, a podcast interview with our mutual friend, Enrique. Woohoo! Yes, yes. I have some awesome. breaking news that I'd love to share here. Yes. Um, ask the Dean. Rachel Grubbs, co founder of MAPT. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm not actually in Hollywood, but here <laughs> in Columbus, Ohio, it's beautiful and snowy. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So I, I want to jump in to some breaking news for TMDSAS that I think every student needs to be aware of, especially if you were planning on applying to Baylor College of Medicine, which historically has been part of AMCAS, but is now part of TMDSAS. Scott, yep. yes. you're the former executive director of TMDSAS. Yes. And I heard through the grapevine potentially that, that you got this ball rolling. Yeah, well, we uh, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, uh, we started a conversation with Baylor and uh, um, they were um, uh, interested in joining uh, TMDSAS and and I think uh, they had to slow it down uh, for a couple of reasons uh, internally logistically and stuff but uh, delayed it a year but uh, I'm very happy that everything has has uh, you know finished out and, and come up and, and gone that direction and I, I think it's going to be a great thing for Baylor it's going to be great for the students of the state of Texas and, and, and others who are interested in applying to Texas schools. And uh, so I'm, I'm pumped about it. Yeah. So, so some interesting tidbits. Um, Baylor, while it is a private school, does get state funding from it Texas. Does. Which is yep. why, uh, part of the reason why they're, they're going to move to TMDSAS is now it's uh, pub, uh, or, uh, state-funded schools are yes. TMDSAS versus public yes. schools only. Yes. Um, but but another interesting thing that I didn't really know about, because I assumed they're a private school, they can do what they want, is because they get state funding, they actually have a little bit of a different out-of-state cap, right? The yep. public schools, by state law, have a maximum yep. 10% out-of-state class restriction. That's- that's right. Baylor is set at 30%, which is right. very interesting to, to know. Um, but not by law, by, by, by uh, the decision of Baylor itself. Interesting. Okay. It's not, it's not, a, it's not mandated by law. Interesting. Because I was forwarded a piece of legislation potentially that does state that, but yeah. maybe not. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. They, they have a their own little thing. Yeah. Um, the MSAR with their last class was about 20% out of state. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while a private institution, they are still very in-state friendly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's very exciting news, and I'm I'm really uh, pleased about it. So uh, I'm glad that you were able to to do a podcast with Enrique, and that'll be cool. Yeah. So students who may not have needed to apply through TMDSAS uh, may be getting familiar with TMDSAS in yeah. the future. Uh, yeah. so go check out that. That was the pre-med years that's coming out on February 10th. Uh, yeah. This episode will come out after that. But uh, for those of you watching live, you can go check that out. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Mapped. Rachel, you want to talk about some fun map stuff that's coming in, in a release in the next week, next couple of days, actually? Yeah, um, let's see. So one exciting thing is in addition to the application uh, section of Mapped. So um, again, for replay folks, this is all this will all already be up. For, but for those of you watching live today, February 8th, as of today, you can work on your primary. Um, so your your personal statement, personal comments, and also your activities descriptions will be pushing through the most meaningfuls. And that'll work more or less the same way it does in the application. So when you're writing your activity description, if you check it as a most meaningful, then a box will pop up to allow for that additional essay. So that'll you know, replicate the, the real application experience as much as possible. And uh, what else do we have pushing out this week? Um, we have our referral program. You want to talk about That's that? Right. Yeah. So, um, this is going to be, I think, a great way to reward those of you, lots of you. I mean, it makes us so happy email to say, oh, I love MAP so much and I'm showing it to my club or to my friends or to my advisor. And that just makes our hearts so happy. And we want a way to, to thank you for that. So, um, Within the next week or so, we'll be pushing out an official referral program. So um, I think at the beginning, you'll have a coupon code that you use. Eventually, it'll be linkified. Um, but you, as a student using MAPT, will be given a unique code or link. And then when you share that with your friends and fellow club members, um, if they sign up for MAPT, then you get a bonus month to your MAP subscription. So if you're cool. on monthly. If you're on monthly, we'll add a free month. If you're on annual, we'll add a free month at the end of your year. Um, so uh, you can still tell your friends just like you have been, but now you'll get a little credit for it. And then your friend will also get extra time in their free trial. So everybody wins. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Very exciting. <laughs> awesome, uh, awesome, awesome. My camera went black, so I'm going to stay like this for a minute. Oh, okay. You can still hear me. Yeah, you're frozen. Yeah, we can still hear you. Um, So uh, let's go ahead and get started with some questions. We had one that um, was pre-asked. Ryan, is it only black in terms of optics? Like, can you see? Um, Yeah, I can see. And I just switched over to my other good camera that usually comes through crappy. So we'll just make it work. All right. Um, I don't see the It's in the private chat. No, you don't. I'll read it. Um, Maybe because I posted it before you logged on. Mm -hmm. A student asked, I stopped my clinical experience to focus on studying for the MCAT. I don't want it to look like it was a, quote, checked box activity, end quote. Do you have any advice on how that will be viewed? 
So, I, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, if you've already done it, then it's sort of, you know, neither here nor there. But uh, to me, um, I, I don't think it's always a good idea to sort of drop everything to study for the MCAT. And because that's going to be obvious on your application that you, you know, discontinued this or that or whatever to study for the MCAT. Now, I do think that reducing for the semester that you're taking the MCAT, reducing, you know, somewhat the number of hours that you're taking or trying to, you know, arrange your schedule in such a way to allow you more time to study or, or less stress in terms of the type of classes you're taking, stuff like that, um, is, is a good idea. But um, I, I do often worry about students who have to feel, who feel like they have to kind of drop everything just to concentrate specifically on the MCAT because that, I think it, it I don't know, it, it, I think to an admissions committee, it, uh, if they look close enough, then it, I think it can look like, you know, you, you're, you know, you have to do that in order to, to, to perform well on the MCAT. You can't really do that in, in med school. So, yeah. Yeah. Med, medical school is, is not one where you can, you can just drop everything for the sake of one thing. And right. you can only focus on that one thing for a while. And then you drop everything right. else and focus on that other thing. And, um, and so definitely I think there's, there's going to be a potential issue if you, if you need to do that now. Yeah. With that said, right, I mean, <laughs> do what you need to do to get a good score. Yeah, yeah. Know that it may come back to bite you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this is thorny, right? I mean, I think last week, uh, maybe when we were doing our public Ask the Dean, someone on Clubhouse who worked full-time said she might take a couple weeks off work, and I told her, yeah, that, that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, it, it, the optics of that is a little different because probably her resume is still just going to say, like, I have a full-time job this year because she just decided right. essentially to use her PTO for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and I have known people who like, like Dr. Wright was saying have cut back. Right. So if you were doing, you know, um, four twelves at the hospital, maybe you asked them if you could do three twelves instead or something for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, it's unfair, but the MCAT rewards people who can make it their full-time job, which is an unfair thing, period. Right. Because not everyone has that luxury of time and money. And then it also does weird things with scheduling, because a lot of the people who are lucky enough to be able to make them get their full time job are doing it in the summer, which it kind of doesn't run up very nicely with the ideal time to take the MCAT. So there's just a lot of weirdnesses here. Um, so, yeah, I think if you can find a way to cut things out of your life that are less pertinent to med school. Right. Like if you're in the ski club. Right. As a random example, right. this is the semester to drop ski club. <laughs> right. Yeah, especially the lines at the lifts are ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> with COVID protocols, that's all I see <laughs> online. Living in Colorado, is people complaining about that? It's just it's crazy. Um, like literally, people lined up all the way up the mountain waiting to get on the, on the lift, um, and that's supposed to be like COVID numbers too. So it's hey. Hey, ski season, it's important. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even I use that example as like a random thing, but maybe ski is the one thing that holds this person's sanity together. Yeah, good point. Right? Like, 
<laughs> so, I mean, the the not easy answer here is, yeah, you should cut something, but that might mean cutting back, not cutting. Right. And don't cut your sanity. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Yep. All right. That's it for pre-asked, Ryan. So can you see yep. the comments? All right. First one here. As my semester has started, I found that two of the classes I'm taking for fun, humanities classes, are a little more stressful than I bargained for. I was wondering if med schools would care if I switched them from letter grade to pass fail. I'm guessing I'm just, I guess I'm just concerned that I would look lazy if I had two pass fail classes my second semester senior year. Yeah, well, this is an interesting question because I think it it depends on uh, a little bit on how closely the um, admissions committee or the members of the committee are looking at your a- academic record and and, uh, and and sort of diving down deeply into the nuances of everything. Uh, I'm assuming that this person is is applying is is doing a gap year if they're already in their senior year and that they're it sounds like they're going to be applying this maybe this next cycle. Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't say it's it's a you know it's going to be a horrible thing to to see on an academic record. I don't think it would cause you to look lazy necessarily. Um, you just have to be prepared in an interview setting to to address it and to say this is why I did it this way. So. You know, I don't think it's optimal, but, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, freak out about it. Yeah. Yeah. I would not freak out either. That's a, that's a t-shirt. I wouldn't freak out about it. I <laughs> 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 right, pass fail a lot of schools. It's like right. just those prereqs are really important. Right. Um, so, right. good. All right. Next one up. How many credits do you recommend one take while studying for the MCAT April date? So kind of similar to that first question we had. Yeah, it is. It is. I think it's not unusual for a student to reduce the number of hours that they take during the semester of the MCAT. I think that's, you know, if it's not normal, then it's fairly typical. Um, I think yeah. to, 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 for students to try to do that, if they don't reduce the hours and they try to arrange it where the courses are not the most challenging, you know, the, the semester you're taking the MCAT is not the semester you necessarily want to have four or five hard science classes all at the same time. Uh, but do you, uh, I, you know, Rachel, you, you probably have, you, you're like, shaking your head and stuff so i'm not yeah i'm agreeing yeah Yeah. i mean for a long time the rule of thumb was count it like one rigorous class yeah so if you could go down by one one class main class and and you know again that's if you're on a scholarship you have to stay full time so you've got to you know juggle your credit hours just right Right. to get to a number that's low enough but high enough um uh but so yeah i would say if you can I agree that, like, I mean, I've had students, and maybe someone listening to this is, but they're like, well, I'm taking OCHEM 2 and BioCHEM and Physics 2 and prepping for the MCAT. And I'm like, good luck. <laughs> you know, like, that, that sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you can make it not lot, tons of rigorous science, and especially not tons of rigorous science, that's the same stuff that's on the test. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yep gets busy yep 
I have the opportunity to work as a scribe in the neurosurgery department at a teaching hospital in my area. The hospital is also affiliated with the medical school in my area. Is scribing good clinical experience? I plan on quitting my current full-time job, non-clinical or medical, to work in scribing full-time. Would this look bad to medical schools? Yes. No. <laughs> the two questions. I mean, yes. I love I love this question I, I, <laughs> because I I'm just such a fan of scribing. Yeah. Uh, it I think it's awesome. Probably of, of all of the things that you could do to get clinical experience, I think scribing is one of the best. Yeah. Uh, you get so much great experience. You learn so much. You learn the vernacular. You learn the you know just there's so much there. Depending on where you're scribing, I mean, I think it can vary a little bit on, on where you're doing it and, and what you're being able to see. But I, I think this questioner, my my comment is good for you. This is going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Uh, it's great clinical experience. Uh, it's definitely not going to look bad to medical schools. If anything, it'll look great to them because you're getting really good experience. And, uh, you know, I'd say go for it and enjoy it. And, and really, uh, you're going to learn a lot. Yeah, I I think it's interesting, right? I think this is part of the problems with the medical school admissions process is I think the far majority of admissions members would agree with you that it's an amazing experience um, and and there's a big asterisk, right? Depending on where you are, there are some positions where you sit out of the room, just in the kind of bullpen area of an emergency department and the physician goes and sees the patient without you and then comes back and dictates everything to you, right? Mm. That's not great experience. Right, right. Um, But part of the problem with this whole process is even though most would agree with you, I've heard from students who have gone to a school open house at a medical school and the dean or director of admissions at that school says they hate scribing because it's it's not direct interaction, right? And so it's, it's like it's so frustrating to like yes, but right, <laughs> yes, yes, but this school may not like it or that school yeah. may not like it. Yeah. And so it's it's frustrating. I think in general, scribing is amazing. Um, yes, it's not technically hands on depending, depending, right. Depending on where you're at. Some, some scribes go in and take a history by themselves, Yeah, uh, depending on where you're at. So it's, yeah. oh, it's frustrating, but anyway. Yeah. And I, you know, and that kind of the, 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 the admissions committee members that believe that what you just stated, mm. that there's no, they're not doing direct patient, you know, interactions or whatever. My comment is where, you know, unless you're certified to do something, then how do you do that? I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's blind and, and it's, it's stupid. And I think whatever kind of, you know, admissions (laughs) officer, you know, says that, I mean, I think they don't know what life is like for pre-meds out there trying to get clinical experience. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Remember last week we were talking about opinions and advising? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think this just underscores that whole idea of, like, it's not black or white, right? There's going to be some variation. And I think we were talking to someone, maybe it was an an, an Am I Ready last week, Scott, who had said the first scribing job she got was transcription in a room, like, 
like just ear earphones on typing. Right, right. You know, right, so she did right. a couple hundred hours and then found a better right. scribe job and left. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And she was smart enough to keep that gig. You know, she was at least learning yeah. some of the terminology. Yeah. <laughs> until yeah. she got her new one. Um, yeah. But yeah, not all scribe jobs are created equal. And then I guess there's that added layer of perception. Yeah. Um, here, but I think I, you know, my my sense is that most scribing jobs are not like that. That that mm-hmm. most of them, they're following the doc around, they're in the room, they're watching the patient interaction, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Well, and I think it goes back to you know many times we've talked about in activity descriptions, you you don't want to focus on the title of the job. You want to talk about, you know, briefly what you did and then more right. importantly, what you learned and got out of it. Yeah. Um, it's why we, when someone says I'm getting this job, is that clinical? We're always like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. We actually just got a follow-up question, right? Kind of relevant to that. Yeah. I work uh, a scribe at a private orthopedic clinic and had, have had the luxury of assisting and performing knee injections on consenting patients who knew that I'm a student. Is this something I should talk about in my application? Yikes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, this could burn, this could cut both ways. Uh, I feel like with, you know, with, uh, I mean, yeah, it's great that the patients were consenting. I still, you're still not covered by malpractice insurance and stuff like that, probably. So, um, you know, I, but in terms of how a medical school is going to look about, look at it, I, I worry about that. I would say, cons- I would say, err on the side of conservatism and don't talk about it. Let let me let me twist the question a little bit. What benefit is there in mentioning this? Yes, exactly. There's none. There's but none. a lot of students will will think about and, and I see so I'm sure you see it all the time, Scott. I see it all the time, is I know how to do this. I've done this. I know how to read x-rays. I know how to inject knees. I know like great. It doesn't mean I should accept you, right? I'm, we're going right. to teach all that stuff in medical school. Yeah, that's um, right. And, and really in residencies where you learn a lot of the procedural stuff. Right. Um, and so that that doesn't give a student a leg up, the fact that right. you've done those things. Right. Um, so going back to erring on the side of being conservative, there's no benefit in mentioning yeah. it. There's more risks, right? And Agreed. Everything in medicine is risk benefit, and, and yep. there's more risk than benefit here. I agree completely. I, I wouldn't mention it. Yeah. All right. One more clinical. I'm applying after 15 years of clinical experience in the OR. With that amount of experience, is it really still necessary to get "quote unquote" shadowing hours? Good question. I, I love this for well, yeah. So my feeling here is, without knowing in depth kind of what you were doing in the OR and stuff. So if you were like a med, if you were like a a, a surgical technician or a nurse, you know, in the OR 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 whatever. Then, uh, then that's one thing. But I think the benefit of shadowing or other clinical experience is that getting a different perspective on medicine. You know, so if you've been in the OR for 15 years, all medicine is not in the OR. And so, you know, it might be beneficial to do a little bit of shadowing of a family doc or a pediatrician or, uh, you know, some, uh, something else to get that perspective on what medicine is all about. Uh, just so that, you know, if, if, 
if all of your clinical experience is in the OR, then that's great. You've got great clinical experience after 15 years. That's awesome. Uh, but I would say the benefit of shadowing is not so you can check off a box or something, but it is so that you get the full, you know, a, a fuller picture of what, what this is all about in a, in a private office or a clinic, uh, you know, something like that. So that would be my thought. Yeah, my my general recommendation or, or what I typically say to students, especially a lot of nurses who I talk to who want to go to medical school, is your interaction with that physician typically ends at the bedside. And mm-hmm. so you don't know what that physician is doing when they go back to their office, when they're arguing with the insurance companies and dealing with patients or other physicians or whatever else they're doing. And there, there is benefit stepping away from your clinical role and the interaction that the two of you have together to see what that life is like. And so yep. I definitely recommend it. It's obviously not something where you need to go get a ton of hours racked up, but just, just spend right. a little bit of time trying to do something. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with that. I have no clinical experience and no research, but I've shadowed, uh, but I have shadowing and volunteering due to COVID. Would I be a strong enough applicant or should I wait? Well, wow. Um, <laughs> shadowing and volunteering. So, you know, I, I, this is the kind of question where I, I, I really feel at a disadvantage not knowing more deeply, you know, how much shadowing, how much volunteering, what kind of volunteering uh, you had, you know, et cetera. Um, so I, I feel really not able to, to answer the question, would I be a strong enough applicant or should I wait? Um, I mean, it, it's the whole package, you know, it's, it's the whole, the whole, you, you want to have a well-rounded package of an application to go forward. If, if, if you have no clinical experience and no research, research I'm not as concerned about, but clinical experience, you know, I think, you know, that's important. And uh, I would say if you don't have any at all, and all you've done is shadow a little bit, then I would say, you know, maybe, oh, 150 of each, 150 hours of each. Okay. Well, I would still say, um, I don't know. That's a tough call. That's a tough call. <laughs> oh, it's, it's easy for me. It's easy uh, for me. No, no clinical experience, no apply. That's okay. I, mean, I agree. For me, it's, it's straight up. It, my question always is, if you have no clinical experience, how the heck do you know you like taking care of patients? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like, frankly, if she's got, if he or she's got 140 150 hours with four doctors, she says. Yep. 150 hours of volunteering. So 150 hours of, sh- of shadowing four doctors, I think you get a pretty good idea of what is going on. Well, an idea of what's going on. But here's my problem with that, Scott, is – and th- again, this is personal experience just from going through this process myself – shadowing is very exciting for pre-meds because mm-hmm. they, they're like living their dream, like little right. mini me's getting to, to, to pretend to be a doctor for a day or for 150 hours. 
But that's different than getting in the muck of, of dealing with patients and, and interacting with the patients. Because shadowing, if it's true, shadowing is super passive. You're not doing much. You're right. just observing. And yeah, like I get it. I talk about this all the time. It's exciting for a while and then it gets boring because <laughs> then it's just repeating the same thing over and over again. Right. But, but that's different than taking care of someone, than, than actually expending your energy to empathize and to be compassionate and and students who may really love the doctor side of things will realize with interaction that they hate it because they don't like feeling like like they're being drained by this human being sitting across from them and that's that's a very different feeling of interaction well, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I just think that I, I think that my, my feeling from my own experience with our admissions committee is that I don't know sometimes, depending on the committee member, if I, I, I get the feeling that some committee members on an admissions committee may not may not um, may not feel that or be aware enough of the differences between shadowing and clinical experience. Yeah. They're yeah. going to say, okay, do you know what you're getting into? Yes. You spent 150 hours following four different doctors around. You have a pretty good idea of what this doctor, what these four doctors do on a daily basis. Yep. And, and I don't disagree with what you're saying, Ryan, but I'm, I'm saying that an admissions committee members, particularly those that are non-clinical, yeah. You know, you got you got admissions committee members who are basic scientists yep. who d- don't have any kind of, you know, background in, in medicine other than teaching biochemistry or, or whatever. Yep. And uh, and so I think that, you know, I, I, I just I, I, I agree that I think having clinical experience is great for the very reasons that you noted. But I don't think that in and of itself, that's necessarily a reason to say, don't don't move forward. Um, you know, we can disagree a little bit on that, but, um, yeah, <laughs> we disagree yeah. a lot on that and that's okay. <laughs> and like- yeah. And, uh, just for the record, I come down on Ryan's side on this one. I have nothing official I can quote right now, but just from having, um, friends and coworkers who are on admissions committees, often in like the med student role of an admissions committee, mm-hmm. like helping with those sort of lower level parts of it. Um, some of them have quoted to me clinical hour minima that aren't posted on websites, but exist. Um, So, you know, and um, that doesn't mean it's everywhere. And it sure doesn't mean it's official because I'm decidedly telling you it's not official. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that some of those systems may be in place with those cutoffs to account for, because there is, I mean, among pre-meds, there's a lot of conflation between shadowing and clinical. People get that confused all the time. Right. Um, Right. uh, But so... Yeah, I mean, if I were if I were the personal advisor of this question asker, I would say you're going to put all that money and heartache in, and for what? <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I mean, best of all worlds, you know, you 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 would get clinical experience and and, and move and then move forward. But uh, you know, in, in the in the age of COVID, that may not be possible. So. Yeah. Can you tell us some of those numbers? There are those numbers. We don't know. How, how many times did I caveat for that for you guys? No, I can't. Yeah. Go get clinical because it's not about the number. Go figure out that you like wiping someone else's butt. 
Because <laughs> if you don't, you shouldn't do this. Because even if you're right. a surgeon, it's going to happen to you. Yep. <laughs> I literally spent time scooping poop out of someone's rectum. Oh, lovely. Medical student. Very, very interesting disease of Hirschsprung's disease, right? Where they're... The migration of neural cells didn't make it all the way down to the anus to control um, the, the sphincter properly. It's very interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. It's like it might bother you and me, but it can't bother a physician. No, I totally agree with that. You have to be willing to to endure all kinds of odors and all kinds of, you know, sights. And all of that. And yeah, I mean, no, you're, yeah. you're exactly right. And yeah. And to Ryan's point, I think that stuff is less draining than the emotional stuff. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Poop is nothing compared to you. You are ruining my life with your news. You know? <laughs> Ouch. It's extreme. It's ruining my life. <laughs> People get upset. Yes. yes okay. Do. Let's move on. Uh, another question around cutoffs. Different though. <laughs> How can we filter out medical schools that have a 3.0 GPA applicants cut off? Just so we know not to waste time and money. Even though post back is 3.6, cumulative GPA would still be a problem at most schools. Well, number one, you don't know that. So the, the questioner says cumulative GPA would still be a problem at most med schools. That says who? Yeah, says who? I mean, <laughs> You know, you can't say that because you don't know that. And and I would say most medical schools uh, do a deep dive on GPAs and stuff, particularly for post-bac students, and look at trends. And, and I know at, at, at Southwestern when I was there, we would allow the post-bac GPA to replace the cumulative GPA uh, in, in a lot of circumstances. Because that more really represented the student than their cumulative did, and so yeah. So I, you know, I I don't agree with the questioner that that's you know that that's how it works, and yeah. uh, so the the easy answer is you can't because we don't know those. Most schools don't publicize those to right. to protect themselves and right. just to, so they have flexibility. Um, but but I think the, the bigger thing is, again, there's black and white, which is what most students are thinking, 3.0 or, or bust. Um, but the way that these systems can be set up, and and doesn't mean that they are set up this way, but they can be set up this way. As, as Scott, you were mentioning, a post-bac GPA could replace um, <clears throat> an undergraduate GPA without mm-hmm. the post-bac. Is, right. is the school can say, right, I want to filter out everyone less than a 3.0 cumulative GPA, period. Mm-hmm. But if they have less than a 3.0 GPA, but they have a post-bac GPA greater than 3.5, I want to bring them back in. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to forget about them. Or yeah. if they don't have a 3.5 post-bac GPA, because they didn't do a post-bac, but they have greater than a 3.5 master's GPA, bring them back in. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so there, there are lots of ways that, that schools can manipulate all of the data points on their own yep. to, to make sure that they are capturing students who they believe will be academically capable of passing their medical school. 
right. and passing That's the right. boards based on, on their own experience. Yep. And so while we kind of throw out this general 3.0 GPA rule of thumb, we can bust that rule of thumb just as easily by saying, well, what is the story behind those numbers? And what does your postback look like? Or what does mm-hmm. your master's degree look like? Mm-hmm. Right? And then all of a sudden that 3.0 quote unquote rule of thumb goes out the window. Yeah. Becomes meaningless. It becomes meaningless. Yep. Yes. Yep. All right. Similar question. I currently have a low cumulative GPA from my previous college of 2.5 due to undiagnosed ADD, but my current GPA is 3.6 at the college I'm attending now. I'm a senior. Should I get my master's first before applying to medical school? Well, hmm. Um, so previous college 2.5, current college 3.6. Wow, that's a huge difference. And uh, I mean, so I would say uh, you might be a good candidate for a post-bac program, uh, depending on kind of the, the details that we don't really know by virtue of this question. But um You know, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I'd look at, because here, so I would, I would look at, um, I would, I would say, do, you know, can strongly consider doing a post-bac program as opposed to, if you're going to do a master's, do a, you know, special master's program, but I, I think post-bac's the way to go um, in this, in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah, the the quote unquote previous college is that one semester, two semesters, is that yeah, four we, years? Yeah. What does that look like? So there's there's still lots of questions. Um yeah. of what yeah. the total GPA looks like. What is that three point six? How many credits is that? Right. Um so. right. right. Come. I've experienced a lot of trauma during my undergrad. Each semester I had something come up, whether it be financial circumstances, injuries, or emotional trauma. Do I explain all these circumstances in my essay or leave them out unless they ask? Upward trend after undergrad. Well, the problem here is that you don't want to appear to be what I call a crisis magnet. Yeah. And that that can be a real problem if 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 you present in your in your application that this happened on this semester and this happened on this semester because the concern of the medical schools is going to be what's going to happen in med school if you have trauma or if you have somebody gets sick in your family or you know is the same thing going to happen in med school that's happened in undergrad where it's semester after semester is something going on that causes you to not be able to do well. Um, that's a real problem. And so what I would say is, you know, just, um, I, I don't think you want to explain all these in your essay. Um, I, I, I don't like that idea at all. And uh, if you're applying, you know, AMCAS, um, you don't really have a whole lot of place to put stuff like that, except in secondaries. Um, where you can talk about adversity or whatever. And a lot of them have questions about that, overcoming adversity. Uh, so, I, but I, I would say no, not, not in a personal statement. Yeah, agree. Like one, one potential 
thing that came up maybe, right? And we, we had talked about red flags and personal statements and uh, an episode or two ago, um, but yeah. just issue after yeah. issue after issue. Um, yeah, definitely not. And and this comes up, this comes up not, I mean, this is not, you know, it's not typical. It's, it's, I wouldn't call it necessarily rare, but um, I've seen it happen a, 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 a few times where, you know, the admissions committee just, you know, the, it was a little overwhelming and, the, and they were like, well, you know, we don't really have anything to hang our hat on here because there's so, there's always something happening. And, uh, and, and, you know, we will just, you know, it's too easy to say there's too much confusion here. There's too many, there's, there's just too much. And so we're just going to let this one, let this one drop. So you don't want to, you don't want to get to a point like that. Yep. Mm -hmm. So would you say instead better to focus on, I mean, this, this, commenter their last comment was i have an upper twin under undergrad yeah i would i would say this is the kind of thing that you might want to do uh a post back if 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 it almost sounds like they're doing something upper twin after yeah Yeah, it sounds that way so um so So more like a summation of i didn't have all of it together in undergrad but after undergrad Right. Like the yeah. focus is on the positive part of it. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. We feel your pain. We're not doubting. Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm just. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sorry that there's been so many things in your life that have caused you know difficulties and stuff. And 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 I'm not. You know, I'm not being you know a jerk about this, but I, I just you know I want you to get the full story here. It's a hard reality. People. Yeah, it for is. Themselves. Yeah, you know, and you don't want people to cringe from you during an application. Yep, it's a little bit of just thinking about the psychology of your reader. Yeah. All right. I've been a caretaker for my mother for years. This experience is my quote seed and will be a large part of my personal statement. Do I add this to the activity section as well? And how do I explain it as an activity? Well, we get this quite this similar kind of question you know, quite a bit in, uh, about caring for family members, you know, the question being, do, do you count that as clinical hours or, you know, whatever, it's kind of the, the questions are, are around that kind of stuff. And so I would definitely say uh, you can add it to your activities section uh, and you could um, add it as clinical um, and estimate the hours and stuff like that. Uh, I definitely think it's something that you need to talk about in your personal statement if that's if that indeed is the seed. Uh, so I, I I would say yes on the activities section. Uh, and and what you do is you explain what you did and what you got out of it. You know the what and the so what. What did you do? And then what impact did this have on you in the uh, in the activity section as well as in the essay. Yep. All right. Hello, my wife is an MS2 here in Texas. I will be applying to her school, amongst others, this upcoming cycle. Would her medical school take this into consideration? Also, any Valentine's Day gift recommendations for med students are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, most med schools... 
I mean, it depends on the medical school in terms of relationships, uh, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, or whether it's, you know, uh, marriage or, you know, we get this, this is not unusual where students are trying to be at the same school as their partner. And so they're trying to, you know, work that out. Now, having said that, I, I think that, that, my feeling is that most medical schools are not going to allow that to be a big part of the, uh, of the, of the process. Um, yeah, they, they want their, uh, you know, they want to help if possible for, to put you at the same school or in close proximity, um, as your partner. But, uh, I don't think most med schools are going to use that as a, as a big part of the admissions decision. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not so. a huge. It's not huge leverage that you have that's going to no. overcome mm-hmm. something no. um, that 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 uh, that may have held you back to begin with. Um, yeah. Could it have been, Could it be used the other way? Like, is someone going to say, "I don't want to take you here. You're too far from your wife." Well, why would another school know that? Yeah, no, I guess that's my point. Like, he, I'm. We didn't talk about where this is being disclosed. Yeah. 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 No, it, it would probably only be a secondary or some sort of separate update to the school. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll, I'll give one story, right? It's an anecdotal story. Um, so, so moral of the story for this student, I don't think it hurts to tell that one school that your wife is there and why you want to go there if it's part of a secondary. Right. Potentially, or, or even a separate update. Um, right. One, one kind of anecdotal story. I had a student a couple of years ago whose wife, they were applying together. Um, his wife got into school. Uh, I believe it was Wake Forest. doesn't matter. Um, he was rejected by the school. His wife got in. He sent uh, a letter, FedExed a letter to the school saying, hey, you just accepted my wife. I was rejected. I would love for you to take another look at my application. Uh, I, I didn't see the specifics of what he wrote, but it was enough that it triggered a review. He ended up getting an interview and ended up getting an acceptance, right? Wow. So wow. Always, always, always advocate. For yeah, that. absolutely. You never know what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there was something when I was in the military, we, we had a talk uh, very early on by, by someone who was near retirement or had, had just retired. And he said, no one in this, in the air force is going to advocate for you to better your career, but no one is going to care if you advocate for yourself. And I, I yeah. just, I, I took that to heart for everything in life to go, I need to fight for what I want. Yeah. And not everyone is going to listen or it might not affect something, but it may affect, right? And there's obviously appropriate ways of advocating for yourself and respectful ways of advocating for yourself. Um, and so this is a situation for this student to say, hey, my, my wife is a student here. Here are all the reasons why I love your school based on the conversations that I have with her, that I have with her and my own research and everything else. And, and that may be just enough to bump you if you were neck and neck with someone else. Yeah, and and I also think that this is an opportunity for your wife to advocate for you too, from her vantage point. You know, to say, to to go to the admissions dean and say, "Hey, I just wanted you to be aware yep. that my husband's applying this year. We would, you know, obviously love to be at the same medical school, and but you know, not 
oh, will you take my husband? But just just be aware that right. this this applicant here's his name, here's his you know ID number or whatever. He's applying this year, and just wanted you to be aware that there's this connection because yeah. they're they're they may, they're not going to know otherwise. So so I think both you know the 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 advocate advocating can can go from both sides of that. Definitely. And and she has the benefit of knowing the culture of the school. Yeah, absolutely. And, and add and say, hey, my my husband uh, will be a great addition because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Good luck. And yeah. Valentine's Day recommendations? <laughs> no, no recommendations. I'm not good at that stuff. <laughs> Take her out to dinner or something. <laughs> Med students are always hungry. Yep. <laughs> for free food. Ooh, what's the biggest mistake you see pre-meds make? I well, you know, th- th- there's there's a lot of mistakes pre-meds make. <laughs> um, but I, I think one of the biggest mistakes is they get too much in their own head and they listen to too many people that don't know shit. I'm sorry about the French there, but <laughs> they they don't know. You know, they they pre-meds, you guys listen to people on Reddit. You listen to people on, you know, Student Doctor Network. You listen to your friends at, the met, at, at your in, undergraduate institution. They don't know any more than you know. Yep. So don't listen to all this. You know, be careful who you listen to. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this broadcast right now, or if you're listening to this to the podcast or watching the video later, then good for you. You're you're getting stuff from, you know, sources that are reliable and, and have experience and stuff like that. But I would caution pre-meds, and I think it's a huge mistake because it all it does is makes you more anxious. Uh, it gives you often bad information. And, uh, and so I, that's a big mistake that I think a lot of pre-meds make is they get, they get too, you know, messed up by, um, by listening to people that don't really know anything. Yeah. A thousand percent. I think, I think that's it, right? Student doctor network, um, Reddit for, for a lot of stuff as well. Uh, students taking all of that, information as gospel and yeah. um and, and taking that information and trying to replicate what students are putting out saying mm-hmm. here's everything that i did without any sort of processing of that information right now, number one filtering it to go what's bs and what's not right um, but then processing that information what will work for me what story have I lived? What do I want to do? Right. Um, and just students going, okay, they did this and this and this and this, and that's why they got in. So I'm going to do those same things yeah. and then I'm going to get in. Yeah. Right. right. And, and it's from day one, when I started the medical school headquarters, I specifically said, this has nothing to do about me. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to come and, and make a website and talk about this is what I did. This is what you should do. It was the yep. exact opposite of why I started the website. Um, and, and so I go out and I, I get to, to interact and talk to amazing people like yourself, Scott and, and Rachel and, and talk to the Dean of NYU and, and have the, the 
um, director of admissions for, for schools just on email or text message just at, at a whim so I can stay in contact with, with the decision makers and, yeah. and put out real information. Yeah. So that's definitely, definitely a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, it's about Speak finding careful. experts who have seen hundreds and thousands of cases over years yeah. as opposed to anecdotes. I think yeah. I see a right. lot of meds who love anecdotes. They love, here's what my friend did. Here's what the president of my club did. Here's what my older brother did. I'm not saying those stories aren't true. Sometimes people are lying. If you look on SDN and <laughs> no one ever gets below 510, that's a lie. Um, it's also a sample size thing, but some of it are straight up lies. But, you know, your brother, your friend, your club president, they're probably all telling you true stories. It's just that those are anecdotes, right? What, yeah. the, what we're trying to give you here and what we're trying to curate with the, with the guests, you know, that you hear on so many of Ryan's podcasts is expertise from people who are working with numbers and math. Yes. Yeah. Um, The only other thing I would put on the biggest mistake list is not starting things early enough. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, well, I'll do clinical after I get my prereqs. And hopefully if you've been listening to ask the Dean for even more than a few weeks, you know, now we think you should be starting clinical sometime during your first or second year of college. Yeah. you know, people who think they can do the MCAT in two months when usually it takes you three or four. Some people can yeah. do two, but if you only allow two, you're up against a wall, right? Yeah. Uh, planning to take the MCAT in June, you know, may- maybe June is the only time you can, but planning to take it in June when you already know you want to apply to a Comus in May and a AMCAS in June. So why are you planning to take the MCAT in June, right? I want to help everybody pull forward their stuff, so that they're not always up against a wall on time. Like yeah. I don't want people to make a mistake or have something go wrong and then say, now I might have to delay a year. I'm like, pull forward your actions so that you're building cushion in. You know, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to over the years who have done MCAT prep and failed to give a cushion week for getting the flu or have told themselves, oh, I'll keep studying for the MCAT during finals week. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. give yourself that week off. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, or they've told me that they can meet every Friday and then three months later they're like, oh, but um, only, you know, every Friday afternoon, but oh, actually I celebrate the Sabbath. So only afternoon until it gets dark and I live on the East Coast. And I'm like, okay, so why do we set you up for 4 p.m. appointments that are going to become irrelevant? <laughs> As soon as it starts getting dark earlier, like right. just think ahead, think ahead, think ahead. Yep. Um, yep. And, and that's what I would really like to help pre-meds do. I mean, it's part of why we have mapped, right? As we're trying to pull forward that sort of planning. Yeah, that's right. I agree. Good. That's a good point, Rachel. All right. Let's see. Got time for one more, I think. Yeah. How extensively should I revise my application summaries and essays for a new cycle? So this sounds like a reapplicant. And I I say you, the, the essays, especially you redo the essays. You don't use the old essay. You, You have to, you have to write a new essay, which sounds terrible. And I know that, but, um, you know, you, you really have to, and I, I think part of the, part of the new essay 
may well need to uh, address, you know, being a reapplicant and what this has done and, and what you've done to sort of improve and, and change your application and make it stronger, et cetera. But do not use the – now, activity descriptions and stuff like that, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it is what it is. But uh, essays, I think you got to redo them. Yeah, my my general recommendation is redo everything that you can redo because at the end of the day, you don't know truly why you didn't get in the first time. You may assume it's because your MCAT wasn't great, but maybe there were some issues with your activity descriptions. You didn't yeah. you didn't really focus on who you are. Let the the reviewer understand a little bit more of who you are. So it's always. Um, uh, it, it's always a, a potential issue. So a, as much as you can, redoing all of your application um, yeah. uh, and then getting new letters of recommendations or updates if there are ones that you just can't redo. Yeah. Um, the, the, the one thing, Scott, that students are always afraid of is <clears throat> are schools going back to old essays for reapplicants, right? I've they, done it. Yeah. I've done it. What are you yeah. looking for? Uh, I'm looking to see uh, if they redid anything. Yeah. You know, if is it the same essay they had last time? Is it a different essay? How is it different? Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time doing that, but yeah. uh, I've done it before where I, and it's especially easy with, you know, with electronic systems, you can just pull the two up and have them side by side yeah. uh, easily and kind of look at them. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested in general for a reapplicant. If they applied last year, what did their application look like last year? What did we do with their application last year at my medical school? And then how is how is this year different? And if if it's clear that they've made some real efforts to improve their application, whatever that meant for that application, then that's a, that's a good sign. If there's not a whole lot different, then I'm like, what what do they expect? You know, they're you know, they do the same thing. They submit the exact same thing, and yet they're wanting different results. And uh, I don't, I don't think that that's wise. But I, 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 uh, I have uh, looked at, at past uh, applications and stuff. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Another well, Asmine in the books. Yeah, in the books. Awesome. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Yeah. Good to Good see day. you. See you next Good time. To... Adios. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.